0: Welcome to Stardust Records, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Linz, and I'm here with my co-host, Savi. Before we get started, we wanted to tell our listeners that we are in full support of the sag AFRA strike that is currently going on in the industry. We are monitoring the guidelines very closely and carefully, and as we do that, we are currently putting a pause to our Star Wars visual media coverage of past, present, and future projects. We will include ways you could support those on strike when we post this episode, For now, we will only be covering what has been told to us by official representatives is okay to cover as a podcast, which includes comics and books. Now, without further ado, let's dive into our discussion of Rise of the Red Blade by Delilah S. Dawson. We'll be covering part two this episode as the book is separated into three different parts. So part two opens with Iscott learning to hide her training. She's decided that um, after talking with Kizo, that she's decided that she can explore and expand her skills on her own. She doesn't need um, anyone to tell her if she can or can't do it. Um, She's just gonna do it. And so it opens with a couple name drops, uh, a couple pretty notable name drops So she's deciding that she wants to learn how to fight with two sabers and she creates uh, another green lightsaber for herself and she learns how to basically fight uh, by sparring with Ahsoka Tano. So Ahsoka helps her and she also, she expresses interest in learning from Pong Krell which I thought was like, well, because he, you know, he he carries two double-sided lightsabers, so she wa- she wanted to learn from him. And it kind of makes it seem like she wanted to, but wasn't able to because he was so busy. Or maybe she did get a couple pointers from him. And then also, uh, I think it was a brand new uh, Jedi.
1: It was Kelleran from, uh, yes. from the Mandalorian. He rescues Grogu. Yeah.
0: Yes, Calvin makes an appearance, and so um, he also helps her a little bit, which I thought was really cool because now I think that's the answer to a question I had before we started reading this book because um, editor Tom at Delray, he said that there was something that they needed to go back into the book and edit into the book that was like new information, and I'm pretty sure it was kelleran being added into the book which i it's like oh okay that's probably that's probably what it was so it was cool to get that answer um but yeah so this part of the book has or this first part of part two really focuses on Iskat being in the temple working on herself and trying to learn Uh, what her limits are, uh, push her skills further. So this actually takes her outside of the Jedi temple. She, I don't think she tells anyone that she's going. She goes outside the Jedi temple. She goes and finds an abandoned warehouse and just practices there. Um, Which, you know, I guess props to her for like taking Mm -hmm. the initiative, but also like she didn't tell anyone she's becoming more and more secretive and also being starting to be very good at, um, I think she always was, but she's hard to read. And we see a little bit later in this part, too, that she's um, even some of the people who seem to know her tell her like that she's hard to read. So she's learning to hide her heart and put on a front and hide the things that she's doing. But she thinks that she's doing it because she has to. Nobody else is training her or wants to train her and nobody's listening to her. So why would she even? be her true self because every time she's been her true self people shut her down so what do you think about this first part or this first part of part two um i thought it was noticeably
1: uh like her her change was becoming really noticeable in a way and it's sad because a lot of the personality traits that she was kind of gaining or expanding on was was like personality traits that you would expect in an Inquisitor and like here on page 155 it says she learned to live on less sleep learned to thrive on it the nights were her only taste of freedom blah 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 so it's basically like it feels and and later I won't get too much into it because we're going to go through you know all of part two but it like the grand inquisitor tell I almost said spoiler alert, but I'd hope you're not listening to this. If you haven't read it and didn't want to be spoiled, but um he says he was like, we like basically that they've been watching and looking to recruit people who always knew the truth about the Jedi order or just like, didn't like knew like wanted to unfold its secrets and like didn't put like a hundred percent of their faith in. So, Later on that page, it says that, like, a lot of Jedi Masters and, you know, Jedi in in general were dying. And, you know, Iscott attended all of the funerals. And it's implied that, like, at all of the funerals, it was almost basically like they were reading from a script. Mm -hmm. So it never really felt like truly genuine it's got like it's like they were reading off of a page rather than it coming like directly from the heart and she like wonders what these jedi think that when when they are dying and you can tell that the more she talks to hezo what is his name hezo hezo, hezo. hezo. yes and the more she like explores outside of the temple She's learning like a lot of the like people are upset that the war is going on for so long. And she's upset that it's been because it's implied that it's like two years since Thule, which was the mission that she went on with Tulon in part one. So it it seems like it's going on for like a really long time and she's learning and like uncovering all of these truths that she is figuring out and moving on a little bit like when she goes when she's asked to go out into the field with Tulin i always forget how to pronounce his name but uh she like uncovers a truth in him too she's she sees him kind of express rage and she didn't she didn't know that like he had that <laughs> <laughs> that he was capable mm-hmm. she calls it an un-Jedi reaction I remember mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah she sees things as I don't want to say as they are because definitely everyone has their bias but I think part of why is Scott sees so much and has these feelings of or she's she's disillusioned she's disillusioned she is not um she's not buying it anymore. Um, And I don't know that she, and I love the way that Delilah writes this, but it's like, I don't, you can tell that you, she's thinking these things, but she's still going along as she's, as if she's a Jedi because she still believes she is a Jedi. And, and she is, but you can tell that it hasn't fully clicked with her yet. And so she's like really starting to question everything. And so, and then she's talking about how she's so lonely. and I just feel so badly for her. it's as, as as sad as it is to read it i I'm so like, I don't know what the word would be. Delilah just writes mental health or mental mental issues really well, I think, and we've mentioned this before, but it's very much. You can find yourself somewhere in this book, uh, somewhere along the way. You can see yourself. You know, I can see myself in certain uh, issues that Iscott faces, and so, yeah. I just I kind of went off on a rabbit trail there, but <sighs> I love the the feelings that come from this book, and I love how Delilah writes how Iscott feels about what's happening around her.
1: Yeah, well, you know. Going back to loneliness and stuff, like she, in a way, has really always experienced it since, uh, what happened with Tika and the columns, and uh, and then now with Tulan, like he's essentially ignoring her, and then now they've been placed on this mission together, and you know they can't ignore each other because they're working on it together, but there's a part with Captain Spider she's like studying him or whatever she's 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 commenting how you know the last mission that she went on with Captain Spider you know he lost all of his men except for one so he is kind of weary of her and it's almost like a mirror of what happened with Tiga like it this just keeps following her Like, people are judging her based off of, you know, mistakes that she makes rather than, you know, what she's done right or, like, what she's shown. And she mentions that after Tulin kind of takes the the credit for the success of the mission. She says, funny how I'm always lucky when it's life or death. And then... She says it was as if she was tapped into some sense Tulin and the rest of the Jedi didn't have. Like she knew things they didn't and had hunches that went against their staunch denials. And yet when she was proven correct, they didn't celebrate her. They just tried to shame her for it. Like she successfully like Thule was a success because of her, and so was the extraction of the of the Azulin. And Yes, Tulin covered up for her, but it just feels like, like to her, it felt like he was taking the credit. But he says to her, which I feel like will be an integral part in the story later. Like he says to her, "We need more. We need more Jedi like, like her. Like people aren't making the same decisions, but she is." So he kind of protected her, but of course, it didn't feel like that. And then, you know, when Order 66 happens with Captain Spider, like she is so quick to leave Tulin behind. But I feel like, like we know that Tulin is going to become an Inquisitor. And it's difficult to, like, it's difficult for her to see that he would also fit that mold as well. But, like, I've also sensed what I've sensed in Iskat and Tulin. Like, he also fits the mold to be an inquisitor i don't know what do you think yeah
0: no i agree i think that he has a lot of those traits um we haven't moved on to part three yet so we don't know how he fits into that but um like you were mentioning earlier she has seen rage in him some of the ways that he responds to her are very i guess you could say un jedi like um i think he's he is not as disillusioned as her, but he's definitely on the way there because of what he has seen and experienced. He's seen and experienced things that she hasn't because he's been very active in the war effort. He's been on a bunch of missions, but in being on a bunch of these missions, you can tell that he is tired. Like when they go on this extraction mission, she's saying how she wishes there was more information, just like how she had wished for more information on Thule and he like goes into this whole spiel explaining to her like there is no other information and can you and he like explains how the intel comes down to him and and explains that like this is it and they just have to trust their the force and their intuition and their gut and then you know Scott's like but we could have researched the planet like we could have had more information on like what that's like and so she's right But also, he's like, I don't, you're asking for something I don't have. We're not keeping anything from you. And, you know, we know, you and I know, and the audience knows, readers know, that this is all because of, you know, Emperor Palpatine. Like He is the one that is controlling the flow of information and the information that they do or don't have. And so it's, you know, again, like we discussed in the last part, it's so frustrating to know that like they're helpless and they're just being controlled. Um, but yeah, um, Toulon, he, he, I I think that, I think that at the point of order 66, I don't know if he would have made the best inquisitor at the time. Cause he was like telling her, like, you don't have to listen to this person. This isn't what you, you shouldn't be doing this. So I think he wasn't just he wasn't there yet, you know, but I'm sure that there's a reason why he was with Iscott on that mission, because they were separated for like they were separated from the rest of the galaxy for a reason. Like Palpatine wanted them out of court off Coruscant when Order 66 happened. So I guess we'll just have to see about that. But um, yeah. I was going to ask you about what you thought about Iscott learning. Who, like, what she is and where her, like, what her planet is and about her people, and like what you thought about Mace Windu basically denying her the the free time to go and explore that revelation.
1: Yeah. So she's from Chorus. I think the P might be silent. Mm-hmm. And we kind of learn about that planet that it's. They're, they're not like technical technologically advanced so they don't have a way of like traveling off world so I do wonder how they discovered Farah and who we learned is her mother like that was confirmed and eh Scott uh, but when she first she lies to Mace Windu right she says like oh I'm just gonna finish this Oh, mission? yeah,
0: yeah, that's what it was. She lied to him. But, so he, I, but he, yeah.
1: So I do wonder if he could sense that she was lying. And that might have been why he said no. Because he does mention, like, we need to leave our past behind us. And I know that, like, mm-hmm. Master Vey was, you know, dead for a while. But, like, she just said that she wanted to finish a mission. Like, she didn't say that she was going to, like, do it for nostalgia purposes yeah so yeah i was i don't know that's how i felt like i was wondering like i genuinely think that he felt like she was lying and he didn't want to like call her out on it although mace windu isn't a man afraid to call somebody out
0: (laughs) that's true that's true And I think now that you say that, because now that I recall that 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 she was lying to him, um, it's funny that her next sort of internal introspection about it right after she, you know, grabbed her fruit and left him at the table. She said the irony of it all was that if they would have just told her the truth, she wouldn't have to keep asking. The curiosity was killing her. It was such a simple question. What happened to a specific Jedi? And yet it was clear the answer was being purposely hidden or perhaps or possibly erased. She just lied to him. But then she's like, if they had just told me the truth. So it's like they're sensing deception from her, you know, but and then she's upset that they're just like, you know, she's not making the connection. Well, there was this crazy
1: a quote that he said where I was like, this is so true in person. Like, this is so true in real life, too. I, I, and let me find it. If it was merely unimportant, what would be the harm in telling her? To Iscot, their resonance made it seem as if something unsavory had happened. Telling someone... Not to ask a question never made them stop asking that question. It only meant the question bother them more. And I was like, oh my God. Delilah really hit the nail on the head with that one.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's literally the second half of the quote I was reading. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like, I was like, holy crap, Ola. Like, I feel like
1: that really, yeah. What were you going to say? in response no to that. sorry I feel like interrupted it, you
0: <laughs> no 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 uh yeah it, it just it is so true it's like with um with children it's like you don't just I I, I remember when my mom was raising me um as I grew up she one time told me that she when she was a girl her mom would say when she questioned her mother not in like a disrespectful way but when she would ask her mom you know to clarify or why do you want me to do this or why can't I do this her mom would just say because I said so and it's sort of the same thing you know don't you know don't question me but it's like if you don't get an answer you're gonna feel you could at the at the most get rebellious but at the least you know just feel like I guess I'm unimportant and my questions don't matter and I shouldn't ask anymore and I should just close myself off. You know, it is so true that it can be applicable to like us in real life that to be shut down and not given answers for what seems like a simple question. um, Yeah, definitely just kind of like leaves you feeling icky inside. Another thing that I thought was pretty interesting too is because there's so many people in Scott's life that keep reappearing throughout the story. And one of them is master Cleflin or Clefin. Um, He was Sember's master. So she's, he's like, you know, her grand master grandparent figure, I guess you could say. Um, and he has been training with her off and on. And there's a point where they're sparring and, They stop because he's like, oh, I'm an old man. I'm getting too old for this, blah, blah, blah. She goes to put away her weapon and then he attacks her and like, you know, shows that he has had a lot more. He's been holding back on her essentially. And it almost like just reinforces in her brain that he is basically, um, I don't want to say untrustworthy, but that he has more to him than he's showing And it just reinforces that in her brain that, like, he's not completely honest with her all the time. And, you know, you can make the you can make the point that, like, oh, well, you have to know how to fight off an attacker at the, you know, in a moment that you don't expect one and blah, 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 blah. But I I feel like he's been consistent in her mind, basically just not being completely honest with her. And also it shows how far she's come as a as a fighter and how she can stand up she's on par with masters and they, they keep saying that like she is really good she's a she's a really good duelist and just in general good at fighting and we see that when she fights the creature on during the extraction mission um and also it's interesting that we see Tulan and Iskot fighting that creature together or another creature together which i think kind of foreshadows that they'll work together in the future as inquisitors I mean that they could work well together as inquisitors in the future Um, another thing too was that Grievous we know Grievous was on Utapau at the time that they were sent on that mission yet they were told to go there because Grievous was there could be there which is just another you know Palpatine tricking them kind of thing Um and I'll just add also for this mission, it was really cool to see that there's another Kafar Jedi. So there's Quinlan Voss, and now yeah. there's this this other this other girl. I mean, she's we had her for a minute, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but yeah, that, that did was really suck. cool. I was like, no. I back. know she she was so she was, I mean, we didn't see much of her, but she was cool. <laughs> um but yeah, that was neat to see a confirmation that there was another Kafar Jedi in the order. And uh, sorry, I'm just like going through my notes on these different, the different things that I that I thought were cool. But I think the one last thing that I, one of the last things that I really, how th- I, I, I don't know what the word would be, but basically we see her being disillusioned with being in the Jedi Order, with the Jedi Order, but she thinks about how if she would have grown up on that she would never have seen the stars. And that was like the most the thing she loved the most about getting outside the temple and going on these missions was being in hyperspace and dropping out of hyperspace and seeing the planets and like seeing the vastness of the universe or the galaxy. And she w- reflected at one point that if she had stayed on that planet and never become a Jedi, that she would have never seen that. And so She duly has an appreciation for what she has learned and her experience, but she's just looking forward to a life where maybe the Jedi don't control her. Did you have any thoughts about what happened to her after she accepted Palpatine's invitation and she went with them?
1: Yeah, I thought it was really interesting that... Scott commented on how it felt so similar to how like the Jedi trials would be. She said, uh, like before the traditional Jedi trials, the Padawans were encouraged to spend a period of time fasting and meditating, which she was doing in the cell. Basically, they stripped her of her weapons, her supplies, and then it says she was only left with her worries, fears, and and doubts. So it's just interesting the similarities between the two and how she kind of just like laughs at one point because of how ridiculous that it is and how ridiculous that she it would have felt if she had been able to complete her Jedi trials. And yeah, basically when it leads into, you know, when she gets back to Coruscant, which is I'm assuming they enter the Jedi temple and uh you know the Grand Inquisitor kind of introduces himself to her and challenges her She, he says he's he admits he's like the Jedi and I mentioned this earlier but I'll mention it again because now we're on this part the only Jedi who were spared were the ones who saw through their lies meaning the Jedi's lies so that there's like how many inquisitors that we know of like we go up to seventh eighth and then ninth there's ten yeah there's a tenth brother we know there's quite a few so it's like it was intentional now that they were you know brought to the to the inquisition because somebody had been keeping an eye on them and i you know the first one who came to mind was obviously trilla because you know We both love her a lot. And you know she is tortured. In Fallen Order. And I don't know yet. I I haven't read past part two. But if she will get. Tortured like Trilla did. And. Like what they went through beforehand. She was so willingly. Accepting into becoming. You know. Not a Jedi. And (laughs) whatever this is. She doesn't know yet. But like will they still torture like the grand inquisitor is so confident in and like knowing that they'll learn so i like, do just wonder i don't know i know that people have already read but i have not read past part 2 so i have no idea so it could be eating my words in a week but
0: yeah so so based on so based on what we read in part 2 and what we know from fallen order and also what we know from the comics that connect to this book um i think that in so in part two when she was uh in solitary for a while before she was taken back to coruscant i believe that was Nur. i believe that was fortress inquisitorius that she was on i don't think that they were using ner as a base for the inquisitors yet though i think it was Mm -hmm. just a prison place and so it makes sense that like that is where seer and trilla were tortured. They were tortured on Nur and or most likely from what we've seen and then I think that they didn't torture Iskot there. We'll see what happens on Coruscant but we know that when she's taken back to Coruscant she's taken to the works and that is where the Inquisitors are based for a couple years at least and then something happens in the comics where vader messes up coruscant and palpatine kicks him off planet and he goes to his castle on mustafar and the inquisitors move to nur um so uh, i i'm interested to see in part three what it's like for the inquisitors being on coruscant and how that all works out like you know like what's their daily life like there
1: yeah I also wonder I haven't read the Darth Vader comics yet. I'd really like to after I read this, um, just to have a little bit more content of them. But yeah. And then I read earlier on Twitter that I don't know where it was said, and I'll and I'll have to find it, but uh it says that the Grand Inquisitor like wanted everybody to be like close knit and like a family essentially so it makes sense now why they were called brothers and sisters Mm -hmm. but i really hope in part three and i don't know if we will but like i you know it got never experienced camaraderie she says that and i do wonder if like she does experience that in this last part but i i don't know like we'll have to see And I'm really excited to read this next part. It's going to take a lot in me to savor it for next (laughs) week. Um, But yeah, I... As terrible as they are and as sad as their storylines are, I think, like, besides the rebellion, the Inquisitors are some of my... like, Like, I really like learning about them. Because... Order sixty six happens, and then, like the Grand Inquisitor is the Grand Inquisitor. The moment we meet him, which means that like, and then he says like that these like were scoped out, like they were recruited essentially. So it's like this has been planned for a very long time.
0: Yeah, it wasn't like Palpatine was just like, oh, you know let's just gather up a couple randoms here and and see what we can do about it. Like he had it in his mind that he was going to have Jedi that were going to help him kill the rest of them. (laughs) You know, the, the stragglers.
1: Yeah. And it seems that I'm, I'm just thinking of this now, but like ninth had that one, uh, force, uh, talent i'm gonna say because i think can't think of the word but she was basically like an empath on steroids because i Mm -hmm. cannot think of like the description of it and she says in jedi survivor like that when we first see her like right before cal a spoiler like right before cal kills her she says that he she can like feel it in him like she feels her his anger and then iskot has the enhanced senses and nobody knows that like she's kept that a secret but like has that gotten out and like do all of the inquisitors have some sort of talent or like special force
0: ability I don't know no I I, I agree I (laughs) think I I think you're right I think they all are very in tune they're very in tune with the force and Mm -hmm. It's similar to how Quinlan Voss is very, he has yeah. uh, psychometry and so does Cal um, and how that is very dangerous for him where it could lead him down a dark path. And we know that it did for a while in Dark Disciple. Um, so I think the Jedi that are very sensitive to the force um, have made the best inquisitors or I guess the most dangerous dark side users. Mm-hmm. Uh which is very interesting to know. I'm glad that you brought that up. That is really interesting to note.
1: Yeah. And like I feel like I don't know if it's mentioned anywhere, but not really many people knew that Cal had said common psychometry or however you say it. Uh and he was also a child. But, like, what, if people knew, like, would people have, like, would the Inquis- Inquisition have recruited him? Would they have recruited Quinlan or anyone? I don't know. It. I do feel, I do wonder if somebody knows about Isgat's talent.
0: I, I think t- that Palpatine, no, go ahead.
1: Sorry. And I was just about to say that Tulan, I feel like, is also extremely in tune with the Force because of that moment on uh the moon where they gathered the azulin i always i feel like i butcher their name but uh yeah like he feels the ground just as she does and can sense that like there's a threat coming and i feel like a lot of jedi have that feeling but maybe it's similar to
0: hers i don't know i'm not a jedi expert (laughs) (laughs) i i agree i do think that palpatine targeted them for their force um sensitivity or i know that they all do have that but their awareness of the force and how the force um because if they're more open to uh, emotion that means that they are more open to being swayed by emotion mm-hmm. and so that makes you know sense for iscott and for masana Tide, ninth sister and i think that also they were targeted for their uh person in their personal life like what was going on if they were dissatisfied if they were uh frustrated um i think palpatine targeted them for that too cuz i mean it it makes like he's been watching them so it's like if he sees you know there's an issue with um one of the one of the jedi and their master or you know just anything like they they targeted Iscott for that reason too i don't think it was just i mean obviously it wasn't just for her ability cuz so many jedi have so many different types of abilities but i think he she was targeted for that reason mm-hmm. and also for her her disillusionment with obviously with the jedi order
1: well they've so th- they've probably also targeted individuals that are like separated from the rest because because if they were targeting Iscand like they've probably had their eye on her since the accident with uh, Tika, where the columns mm-hmm. fell and injured her. So that also makes me think like like ninth sister is kind of, for lack of a better description, like she's she's a she's kind of a Brutus. Like we see that type of fighting style in her as she's an inquisitor so i do wonder like how the other jedi might have treated her Mm -hmm. because she's bigger and different and and so i don't know
0: i i i want there to be more (laughs) oh my gosh well we'll read part three we'll expand on all these thoughts once you read that and I I do hope in the future, and we'll reiterate the same thing I'm saying when we we get to part three, but I do really hope that there's going to be more uh, content around the Inquisitorius. I believe that there will be. uh, Who knows when that will happen? But I would love to see more, especially after reading this book. I want to know more about the individuals that were a part of it. You know, yeah, maybe, maybe we will
1: maybe we will maybe we won't though i really am not <laughs> hoping for the latter but uh, do you have any final thoughts on part 2 that you might want to bring up or
0: okay yeah one last thing i okay. thought i was i was cringing for iscott when Toulon was going to like ask her like did you intentionally let jask fall off the cliff which oh. was something that happened in part <laughs> 1 and she was like he said, were you guys or something he was leading on and she cut him off. She's like, oh, we weren't a thing. Yeah. Like, as if he as if she thought that he was asking if like her and Jask were together. Yeah. And Poor girl. He's like, No, no, I was going to ask you if you let him fall to his death on purpose or not.
1: Yeah, that, that was like, bad.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh,
1: I know you haven't. Seen the bear yet? But there's a scene in the bear season two that's almost exactly like that, and it reminded me so much of it. But I won't spoil it, cause I see you in three days, four. Yeah.
0: Well, three. Yeah.
1: Yeah, So, and I'm gonna force (laughs) Lindsay to watch both seasons of the bear.
0: (laughs) We're gonna do it. It's gonna be awesome. So to finish off this episode,
1: Lindsay has Kelly Knox's conversation cards that she recently got they just came out I think and she is going to ask me one and I have no idea what it is and I'm nervous but it's Kelly Knox so I trust that it'll be a good conversation card the only time I've played a conversation card game was we're not really strangers and that is a deep conversation card game if that any that i've ever played
0: as i just said i've only played one before okay hit me okay i'm just gonna pick a i'm just gonna pick a random one okay okay so I'm- just right from the middle of the deck i'm cool with that Hit okay, me. okay here's here's your question what is your favorite creature sound in star wars and can you do your best impression of it <laughs> oh god Horgs.
1: I might not be able to... well okay, let me practice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is so embarrassing. Okay. <laughs> Can you well you pick one too. I don't want to just do it by myself.
0: Oh! No, I, I've got one. I've got one. Mine is uh the the uh oh my gosh, Tauntauns. What sound did I make again?
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, mine was a porg, so... <laughs> oh, my God.
0: That was so good. <laughs> They're really good. I love <laughs> porgs. Uh, see, a tauntaun's way more embarrassing. It's just like... <laughs>
1: <laughs> they do sound like it's somebody, like, struggling to say something... I. I don't know. <laughs> like or like like you like the
0: Snoopy uh, the peanuts teachers where they're just like <laughs> yeah, you have to add a little bit of like wateriness into that, but yeah, Ooh. that's essentially it.
1: <laughs> yeah, okay, wait, do do one more
0: for fun. okay, okay. um, okay, okay, here's one. So here's another. you have a special comm link that can connect you to just one. Star Wars character, who do you choose to talk to? Oh God, Cal, Cal. Oh, <laughs> you would be funny as hell. He'd be, be so, so funny. Fun.
1: Yeah. Or I was thinking Zeb, Zeb or Cal.
0: Okay, my first thought was Trilla, just because of like remembering the calmling conversation with her. Oh yeah, in fallen order. Like how she like hacked in and she was all sassy. Um, but honestly.
1: Ezra would also be a good one.
0: He would be a good one. I'm looking deals for like on, a nice talk. deals
1: on deals. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead.
0: Uh, Maybe I want someone who's like going to be my friend who doesn't mind if I talk to them. So yeah, is a really good choice. We're just going to go with Hondo. I feel like he could yeah. tell me so many stories. He'd I'd be-, just be like, hey man what's up and he would tell me like this tall tale of how he like stole spice from somebody that's awesome i also feel like scuba
1: (laughs) scuba okay scuba and hondo in the same room together i feel like would make it explode
0: i want to be in that room yeah me too I don't mind if the room will explode. I need to be in the room with Scuba. Mondo.
1: <laughs> Scuba. Man, I miss Scuba. I haven't played Jedi Survivor in a while. I need to do Me another neither. playthrough.
0: Ugh. We'll have to do, like, a, a another review. We'll, like, play again or something and yeah. review it again.
1: Especially now because we have, like, opinions on the characters that have grown.
0: Exactly. But... For now,
1: uh, you can find us reviewing Rise of the Red Blade. Uh, We'll do part three, which I think is the last part for uh, this review series that we've been doing. So you can find us at Stardust Records on Twitter and Instagram. That's Stardust Records, but without the O. And you can find Lens at A Cosmic Love on Twitter and Rebel Risen on Instagram. And where can you find me?
0: We can find you on Twitter and Instagram at Anderisms. We
1: will see you next week for another episode of Stardust Records. Bye bye. Bye bye.